Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome back to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard. Your RPG treasure trove where we are making old school young again. I'm your host and king of the boneheads, Ryan Howard. And joining me this evening is someone who uh, you all should know and love already. You have seen him on Table Breakers. You've seen him on Gatekeepers. You've seen him on Legion of Myth. Uh, he is the one and only Connell the Cigar DM. So Connell, welcome to Rolling Bones. Thank you for having me. It's been we've been talking about doing this for a little bit. I'm glad it finally came to happen. Hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. We've got a bunch of stuff to talk about. Uh, the RPG world is on fire right now, and uh, on top of that, I of course want to talk about your area of expertise, uh, which is professional game mastering. And uh, you know, I just generally want to have a conversation with you because you always have cool things to say on the shows that you're on. So. That's questionable, but I'll take the compliment. Um, being a paid DM is fun, uh, or should I say, GM? As you know, down the road, it very well could be a, a GM's point of view, so a DM's point of view, uh, with the uh, what's going on with the Wizards of the Coast. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know how that's going to hammer it out in the short term. Long term, it's. It's going to be painful for everybody. I, I do not see a clear path for anybody that wants to stay in the hobby without getting a headache. Right. Yeah, there, there there's all kinds of implications uh, of, of all this new OGL 1.1 stuff, and we'll talk about as much of it as we can tonight. Uh, so I, I just want to start at the beginning, though, and... Start us off here with the introductory questions that we do every time someone's on the show for the first time. So, Connell, how did you get into role-playing games? I was a late bloomer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really late. I, I, most of the people you talk to will have the high school story they were picked on, or for one reason or the other, they got started in high school with a group of friends. I was in sports. I boxed. For a period of time, and I played rugby for a period of time. It wasn't until after college when I was taking my middle brother up to our community college that I saw a group of guys throwing, you know, just goofing around and, you know, throwing these plastic weird little things. I went over to see what was up because naturally curious guy. Next thing I know, I have, and it's 3.5 era. I have a tiefling fighter rogue in front of me, and I don't know my ass from the hole in the ground, but I'm making it work. I, I, I'm, I'm learning the ropes as fast as I can, and 
five is a rough system to just be thrown into, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, as much as people like to bag on, uh, like, builds and people who have spreadsheets just full of, you know, if I add this and this and this to, you know, make this character, as much as people like to make fun of that in kind of the OSR world that I find myself in, uh, in something like 3.5, that is a necessity. Oh, uh, and it bounced right over to the Pathfinder, which I, which most of my friends will call Mathfinder because it was just doing more of the crunching numbers, which I'm fine with. I uh, see. I don't know about you, but I think my t- teacher lied to me because they told me growing up I'd never walk around with a calculator in my pocket. <laughs> Apparently, that's a horrible lie. Mm-hmm. It doesn't only uh, can't it can't only no. How should I put this? It doesn't only do the numbers. It will tell me what it is just by saying, hey, Siri. Mm-hmm. And before she gets started, the answer is no. Not only do we walk around with a, uh, a calculator, but you can get a graphing calculator application on the display. <laughs> yeah. So it, you're walking around with a, a Texas instrument and then some as far as this uh, little device here goes. I mean, granted, this is a tad bit cheaper than the, what, $75 that you had to pay for one of the, the calcula- uh, Texan calculator uh, college grade ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, it slices, it dices, it does your math for you, whatever. Absolutely. Now, of all of the time that you've spent gaming, if you had to pick a fondest RPG memory, what would that be? This is one of those completely not bullshit because Jade from Table Breakers and Gatekeepers can back me up type of stories. Um, we're dealing with a, I think, young or middle-aged Red Dragon. Mm-hmm. And we're, we have to go in there to get this tome for one reason or the other. Uh, keep this in mind, this is a better part of almost 20 years ago. So if I'm most body on the story, I'm, I'm sorry. But I'm playing that Tiefling Rogue I told you about. And um, I told that dragon, this wand, as I pulled out one of uh, summoning nature's ally, will lead you to a horde that's greater than yours. I will trade you this for that. Complete bluff. I knew exactly what was in my hand. I rolled a nat 20. The poor schmuck of a DM rolled a nat 1. <laughs> and between the level, the skill points... I, I was like in the high 40s, and he still rolled a nat one. Mm-hmm. So he he took the wand, he flew off. We had, sorry, we had a. Uh, I do people call me when I don't want you to. <laughs> um, we we got the dragon's horde, we got what we wanted, and we uh, booked ass out. Mm-hmm. Oh, so man. that's on this one. Crafty is already firing shots across the bow saying that Connell's fondest RPG memory is when he got schooled by yours truly. I don't want to know if those are the most fondest, but they are the most memorable. Jeez. Teach me from talking about 5e. I mean, old school 5e, if that is a thing. Mm -hmm. That was one of those... uh, You could almost hear Jim Ross screaming in the background, By God, it's Crafty Matt! He's got a steel chair! (laughs) Oh, there's blood on the mat. He's wearing the crimson mask. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
style DMing. I don't care if you're a home a home table uh, DM or you work at a shop. Everybody runs their game differently. Yes, Crafty was absolutely right with what he said. People should read the Dungeon Man uh, Manual. And I will never argue against that because, well, I just know better. But um, I don't know. The way I run my tables is not going to be the same way you run your tables and so forth and so on. And the argument was not so much argument. But the conversation was about um, milestones versus XP. Mm-hmm. I find it from a professional point of view, it's just a whole lot easier to do table. I mean, to uh, do milestones just Tell them, hey, this is where you guys are at. This is level you need to be at to level. We'll get there when we get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was, it was smoother. I mean, just kind of going back to my early days of gaming, uh, I was taught milestones wrong based on what Crafty read out of the DMG on what milestones actually are, according to that book. The way that my GM, who, who kind of taught me how to play and taught me how to run the game, did milestones and the way that I did milestones up until actually like reading the DMG, that's how I interpreted them too. So uh, according to the uh, letter of the law, every fifth edition game that I ran uh, was done wrong in that way. So mm, I run uh, Pathfinder Rise of the Rune Lord through the 5E engine, mm-hmm. which has its own little fun hiccups uh sometimes the monster and pathfinder doesn't translate completely over to uh fifth edition and it is what it is i'll just reskin something else to make it as close as possible you know mm-hmm. let's put some little bit of imagination back into role playing um but once they once they get to a certain point even the book i have which is the anniversary edition of rise of the lord just say they should be this level at at this point so once they get to that point, I just pull the trigger. Guess what? Everybody just leveled. And it just makes my life easier for the most part. I don't, you know, easy is not always good, but when you're dealing with people that doesn't always have the best attention span, including the DM, it's sometimes the easier way to go. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that's going to be a little off the wall and maybe something that you're not expecting uh, on the show tonight, but... In addition to being a professional GM and a regular contributor to, uh, you know, several streams in, in this, uh, this RPG world of ours, you're also a uh, culinary professional. I would use the term professional loosely, but yes, I cook for a living. Gotcha. I have found, as someone who likes to cook, I don't do it professionally, but, you know, I, I love doing it as a hobby and, you know, to feed myself. But as someone who likes to cook, I've noticed that there are a lot of similarities between being a game master and cooking in that you're assembling ingredients. Sometimes you're using a recipe straight up or a module straight up. Sometimes you're pulling from different experiences, but it's equal parts creativity, science, and showmanship in a lot of ways. And you're also beholden to... An audience who, yes, you've pulled something together here, and maybe to your palate or in your mind, this is something that's going to taste good and be enjoyed by the group that you've assembled to consume it, but you won't know until you actually give it to them and see how they experience it. 
I see where you're going. I, I the best example I have from culinary arts uh, point of view, it's like doing thanks uh, Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, the first half of getting your table together uh, via cooking or done, uh, uh, being a, a tongue of story is prep work. Do I have the maps drawn out? Do I have the villains or whatever town folk NPC all the you know all the nuts and bolts figured out? Then you start moving into your vegetables. Now, was everybody going to be playing? How does this work with the story? Then you get into the meat of it, and which is telling the story itself. I mean, most tables around Thanksgiving vary from, you know, single couple to 12 people, if not more. So, feeding it, using it from your point of view, from what you're going with, yeah, I can see how the two are very uh, close together. Because when the meal comes together, it's all laid out. You won't hear any complaints until after the meal is done, if there is any to hear to begin with. And except for a few, hey, this turkey's kind of dry, rule lowering, you normally don't get much of it during the meal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and I smoked my turkey this year, so uh, turkey being dry wasn't so much of a problem. You know, if you don't want a pretty turkey... Uh, but you want it to, uh, dr- uh, the breast not to dry out, cook the bastard upside down. Mm-hmm. And uh, the breast stays, that does not dry out. But it makes for an ugly turkey, but it's to eat, not to look at, right? So. Now here's another uh, oddball question for you, and, and you might not even have an answer for this because uh, a lot of your gaming is done in a game shop. Uh, you know, running games professionally. But what cigar do you think pairs best with uh, GMing? Um. Wow. Uh, I. <laughs> That's a good question. Um. Depends on what kind of game you're playing. Um. What 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 kind of story you're uh you're telling. Um. I personally, when I get to game at somebody's house and I'm allowed to smoke in the basement for out in the garage, I prefer a um, a longer stick, uh, a, a thick longer stick, because you know while you're sitting around for other people's times, it gives you something to do. You can you know think about think about stuff and working on your breathing exercise. So I, I say to my ex-wife, um, it's I think what prepares uh, well with good game is very much is what the story is going to. I mean, uh, I don't know if you saw last week's uh, gatekeepers, not last week's, but the weeks before that when we we're uh, celebrating uh, the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. The author's birthday was uh, June third, and Earth was June fourth. And I had an Asylum uh, Asylum thirteen Ogre, which was it's a uh, Green and brown candy cane wrapped up, but it's called an ogre. I mean, if I could find a troll or a goblin, I mean, if I could be punny, I, and I hate puns, if I could be punny with my cigar during a game, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Pipes are probably easier. Do you know uh, there is a line of pipe tobacco that's named after Lord of the Rings character, like Old Toby's uh, tobacco and stuff like that? I did not know that, but that makes perfect sense. And as a uh, a lapsed pipe smoker, I think I need to try some of that. I after the show, I'll look into it and I'll give you the information. Absolutely, I think that one my wife wouldn't mind me smoking. 
Depends on where you're at. I mean, up here in Illinois, <laughs> things that you can smoke during game are a little bit more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we haven't quite gotten that far in Tennessee yet. That's still... Uh... Oh, you guys just turned, what, 21 a couple months, uh, a couple years ago? Because when I was living down there, your beer could not be in the same store. You had to actually go to a beer shop. Mm-hmm. Where up here, the you know, beer, wine, and liquor is all in the same store. I'm like, oh, I'm like, Tennessee just passed a law that grocery stores can now carry beer. I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in, uh, in North Carolina, where I'm from, it's even worse because you have to have uh, state-run ABC stores for liquor. So there's beer and wine in the grocery store, uh, but liquor can only be sold by ABC stores. I've been to one of those down in um, Florida, mm-hmm. and I thought it was kind of weird, but, you know, to each their own. Yep. And uh, here in chat, uh, Brian James, how do you feel about Turducken? Too many things have been shoved up too many other things, but that's how I feel about <laughs> Turducken. I was asked to make one of, the, of those this past Thanksgiving by a client's nephew, and I told the nephew, go talk to your uncle, because he's paying me to make one thing, not the other, and I don't want to get fired at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not that bad. I mean, it's, it's a lot of deboning. A lot of prep work. Yeah. But going back to role-playing, a lot of good role-playing is well on prep work on a DM's part. Yep. And then uh, Mark, Mark Genre Mixer, an exploding cigar. Only if you're playing Top Secret and you're killing Castro. Then you can have an exploding cigar. Yeah, yeah, I know Mark. Mark uh, is a partner in crime with me on my Sunday review uh, show that I do on Sundays. We talk about different movies and uh, books that are... Sometimes I like to lean onto fantasy and sci-fi to keep it into the realm. It's like, how could we turn this into a game or a story for a game? But it, it kind of goes everywhere. But I kind of like live chats that go everywhere because I think they're fun. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, I, I didn't mean for there to be another uh, culinary question here, but this just occurred to me. And it's something we were actually talking about not too long ago uh, in the Basic Experts Gilded server. Um, another aspect of cooking is taking ingredients that are otherwise unpalatable, mixing them with other ingredients, and making something delicious. And I've seen this uh, applied to comedy as well, in that, uh, you know, harsh subjects that are difficult to joke about, like, you know, death, um, assault, you know, whatever kind of dark, taboo subject it is, Saying that that is funny is almost like saying flour is food. It's technically true in that it's an element of... Uh, you mean like ground, uh, ground flour, not like flour flowers. Like right. your like my ex-wife has a garden of edible flowers. Mm-hmm. And instead of flowers, I make bread with. Yeah. yeah. But in applying that to RPGs, there are elements that can be harsh in these stories of you know fantasy sci-fi even superheroes and the the way that it's presented the way that it's packaged within the story almost determines whether or not that idea becomes palatable and something that players react to or something that players bounce off of in in my opinion at least what what are your thoughts on that 
I, I think humor's humor. Um, yeah. I think that all jokes, all words as a whole are innocent, but I, it's the person behind who's making the joke or saying these words that you got to be concerned with. Um, I can make jokes about the Irish. I am Irish. You know, I can make jokes until I'm blowing my face. But if I cross the street, make a hypothetical, let's say a Jewish joke, it's kind of off brand right now because everybody's really sensitive about everything. It's not like it was, I'm 39 years old. I grew up with comedians, uh, Chris, uh, uh, was it uh, Eddie Murphy, Billy Conley, uh, and just like them where, you know, nothing was completely off the table. Well, George Carlton, there was a lot of things that were probably should not have been said. I mean, he, his whole the seven things you can't say on TV turned into a Supreme Court case for the radio. Um, I so when it comes to humor, I think all humor is good. It just really depends on the time and the place. Mm-hmm. I, I before we started this, I told you my daughter told me a joke that was incredibly inappropriate, <laughs> but I still thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. And the person I was uh, checking out uh, selling us our uh, what we're buying thought it was hilarious. So I mean, it was kind of a weird go. So when it goes into RPG and you're at a table, if you're a home table, you're normally inviting people that you know. People are enough like-minded to yourself where your dark humor is somewhat shared. Mm-hmm. At a table that's where uh, ran in a shop, humor is questionable. Yes, you want to make sure everybody has a good time. But the jokes that you tell privately with your friends are not the same jokes you could tell at work. Yeah. Yeah, and, and again, it's a, it's a question of knowing your audience. If you're, again, uh, not to not to labor the cooking analogy too much, but if you know that your, uh, you know, your, your friends that you're cooking for at home have particular tastes, you can get away with certain things or, you know, trying kind of weird off-the-wall ideas that you know I, i've never tried cooking uh polish food before let's try it tonight and is everyone game for that uh but i, if, oh, sorry, I have a i have a pasta recipe that calls for squidding yeah now there's gonna be a few people that are gonna be turned off by the concept that it's squidding but if i tell you it's growling everybody's gonna giggle um, I, it's just how you present it. it. That's all it really is. Is just how you present it. I mean, we got Victor in the chat, and I say, "How about no, you crazy Dutch bastard?" And he laughs because he knows I don't mean anything offensive by it. Mm-hmm. If he calls me a, a dirty eating potato Mick, you know, <laughs> he's white. Um, you know, my favorite curse word as a kid for uh, was bastard because <laughs> it was true. Yep. I am a bastard, but I'm happy to be a bastard. And so, because life is not supposed to be taken serious. Food, life is miserable enough, your food, nor your gaming should be. Hmm. Crafty, you, uh, you, you should unleash some of that sometime. I mean, I, I don't think anything that you've said in, uh, in the Gilded server has eclipsed <laughs> any of my kind of, uh, worst takes or worst uh jokes that i've made so i i might challenge you on that crafty i mean not everybody is kosher 
with dark humor. And I I think it takes a certain type of person to be uh, okay with dark humor. I mean, before I had kids, I I knew a couple rough dead baby jokes. I still know them. I just don't tell them. Well, that's not true. I do tell them with different companies I share with now. So it's time and place. Mm Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, uh, moving back into kind of the realm of professional DMing, I, I do have to ask, how did you find yourself uh, with that particular role? Like, how, how did you fall into, you know, GMing professionally? Well, the shop I was going to was kind of a more of a Warhammer uh, 40K game shop. That was Ma- uh, Magic the Gathering and 40K was what they kept the doors open. I wanted to play Pathfinder. And they had a DM already in there, and he rage quit for whatever reason. He just rage quit. And the, the owner of the place is like, hey, any of you guys be interested in doing this? Doing what? Running a campaign. Sure, I'll run it. He's like, all right, I'll pay this guy this much money, so I'll pay you the same. <laughs> Wait, what? I'm getting paid to be, you know, to be a goofball? Sold. And it just fell into my laugh, lap. Uh, so that's how I got started, and I did it there for a couple of years before I moved back to Illinois. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the game shop that I grew up going to, uh, Parker, Banner, Kent, and Wayne in Cornelius, North Carolina, if anyone uh, wants to go to the coolest game shop in North Carolina, that's the place mm-hmm. you'll go. Uh, it's Parker, Banner, Kent, and Wayne in Cornelius, North Carolina. It was the same way. Uh, it still is the same way. Magic kept the kept the doors open. Forty K was huge there. Um, very small contingent of like role players. Oh, and I talked to a local game shop owner that I, I respect immensely. Uh, if you're anywhere near the Peoria, Illinois era area, it's called Just for Fun. The guy's been open forever, and I asked him what in order what keeps doors open. Mm-hmm. And in line, it was Magic the Gathering. Fifth edition and everything else, hmm. and it, it's just kind of it's just nature of the shops. Like it or hate it, these games sell. Yeah. And if you're in the business of selling games, you're going to want the hottest thing on market, even if it's gone, you know, sideways. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of times, uh, I feel like Max especially kind of like pushes this on you every time. Uh, Pretty much every time you're on Friday Night Chill Stream, Max says something to this effect. But when it comes to actually having, whether you want to call it creative freedom, freedom of expression, freedom to put the players into kind of, you know, whatever situation you come up with or the module presents, how do you feel like that plays out as a professional versus someone just at a home game? That's a good question. I think the people that show up at my games want to be there. I have hard limits uh, that are not set at, uh, that are not joked about at the table. Uh, that are not played in. I do not do adult themed games. Right. Um, it, uh, even with the adults, I still keep it. You know, in the the rough th- uh, PG thirteen area of rating, but it never goes past that. 
I think freedom expression is awesome. I, I, I love the arts. I go up to Chicago, Illinois, at least every few years ago to the art museum. I appreciate art. And this is really what storytelling is. It is a form of art. Mm-hmm. But there still should be rules. There should be guidelines and hard limits to art. Because as much as it is fun to, let's say, open a old Playboy, because they don't make those anymore, if it seems like anymore, yeah. uh, there's a time and a place for it, various to, you know, a comic book, which is, I will still argue, is art. Mm-hmm. So gaming is the same way. You could have the freedom of telling the story, but you need bound boundaries with the people that you're playing with. I have one table uh, that is from for kids from 10 to 13. The next one is 13 to 16. The last, uh, Another one from 16 to 18. Then I got the grown-ups table. Yep. I can tell the same story in each one of these uh, groups, but how I tell it has to be catered to said group. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so freedom is an amazing thing. You know, the concept of uh, uh, being creatively freedom is awesome, and I highly recommend it for all DMs or all authors or painters or whatever your uh, thing is. But we do still live in a society that says, no, this is not doable. We do not want this. And right or wrong, we're all stuck in that society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is, it, it's a question of when and where to push the boundaries. There are some boundaries that you can get away with pushing. There are some boundaries that people will just immediately uh, like try to burn you at the stake for pushing. And it, it, again, it all comes down to knowing your audience and knowing what you can get away with and also knowing what's worth getting away with because sometimes it's just not worth it sometimes it doesn't even you know what you are trying to do in that situation by pushing that particular envelope doesn't even make sense you're just kind of being edgy to be edgy and it it should always be in service of something greater than just getting the reaction from people's faces it should be in greater of in greater service to moving the story along the plot along uh, creating a new complication for your players, something that enhances the game experience. It's DM's responsibility to make sure the game continues. Yeah. If you think you're going a step too far, then you probably are, and you have to trust that your gut that it might not be the right thing for your party. Mm-hmm. I mean, on Table Breakers this past month, for uh, I did a one-shot where I kind of had the Krampus kidnap children who was working for Baba Yaga, who turned the children that they kidnapped into pies that the parties did not know about. And the party members, some of the party members ate said pies. Now, would I do that for a... And all the people on Table Break are grown-ass men. Would I do that for a children's game or a young teenager's game? No, it'd most likely be kidnapping of Santa Claus or some more age-appropriate subject. But for grown-ups, as long as everybody is willing to have a... As long as everybody has a good sense of humor and knows at the end of the day it's a game... This is not real life. This is not therapy. It's a game that we all agree to sit down at a table and share this experience together. Then I say, you know, play the way you want to, but keep in mind, people's feelings do get hurt for some stupid reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, it does. 
I feel like that was kind of <laughs> wordy. All good. Don't worry about it. Now, another concern that people have when it comes to being a professional game master is this feeling, and this even happens with a lot of 5th edition uh, GMs who aren't professionals. They're just running for their friends. A lot of GMs in you know the, the modern world of ours feel like they're service providers and feel almost like their uh, their players treat them like they're the cashier at McDonald's or something like that. Have you ever had an experience where you felt like that uh, with your players? Oh yeah. oh, yeah, especially for the kids. I'm the babysitter for like three or four hours. Mm-hmm. I, I'm the guy that the parents uh, has to watch these kids uh, while their parents are off doing errands or whatever else. But I took it upon myself to be this DM. I, I went and looked for. I went looking for this. So yeah, uh, there is a little bit of it in fifth edition. But people are people. I mean, kids are assholes. I mean, I, I should know. I was one. Still, so I am an asshole. But at the end of the day, when they walk out of the shop saying, "Mom, I had a great time. Can we please come back next week?" Or, you know, leave a compliment or say, hey, I had a great game. As much as it might rub you during it, why it's happening, the end result is said child or said person is having a good experience and they're willing to come back. And as a professional DM, that's high marks. I mean, you can always somewhat count on your friends to fill up the seats at your house. Mm -hmm. Having somebody willing to pay X amount of money to uh, sit at a table where sometimes they know everybody and other times they don't know anybody and have a good time, that's the trick, at least in my point of view. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and if you can... I'm not as opposed to the idea of a professional game master as some of the more traditional-minded players are out there because, you know, I think if someone's willing to pay the money, you know, why not provide the service? But there, there is an art to pulling together a group of strangers, a group of people who you otherwise don't know each other, otherwise don't interact with each other, and getting them to engage with something that you've created or something that you're facilitating. It's something that not a lot of people can do. And so being able to get those return customers to your table uh, based on your ability to deliver, that is something to be commended. It's it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> I'm not gonna say it. It's it's a pain in the ass, but it's it's worth it because these kids are going home and telling stories to their friends, and they sometimes bring their friends to the shop to try it out. We we want our game. We want this game, this RPG world of ours, to look a certain way. We don't like the way that you know. There's no good D and D after second edition. There's no good D a good D and D after three point five. You know, Wizards of the Coast was crazy for uh, dropping out uh, fifth edition. As much as that might be true, if you want to keep any variation of of this hobby alive, you're going to have to somewhat cater to a younger generation. Sometimes make it a little bit more cartoon-ish. Saturday morning cartoons are no longer a thing. They got taken off the uh, air a couple years ago. So if I'm... Basically, Bugs Bunny uh, and Daffy Duck to a kid for X amount of hours, but they keep coming back every 
time to, you know, have a good time, then it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the grown-ups, I don't offer beer or alcohol, so why they keep showing up, I have no damn idea. It's interesting that you mentioned Saturday morning cartoons because uh, I also feel like the, the children's entertainment out there uh, today isn't at all near kind of the quality that it was when I was a kid or even before I was a kid uh, where instead of treating the aud- instead of talking down to the audience, the entertainment talked directly to the audience. So yeah, you can be Bugs Bunny, but you can also be uh, Batman the Animated Series. You could also be Gargoyles. Oh, yeah. You you can challenge well, kids and give them something that engages them or something that really uh, you know that they can laugh at it, but they could also think, "Oh man, that was awesome." Those are equal experiences in my mind. And so, if some of you might, some of you who want to you know run games professionally or running games for kids, you might find more success kind of you know being Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck for uh, your your younger tables, but some of you might really find success if you want to go for that uh, X Men, Spider Man, uh, Batman the Animated Series type feel, and I think that's missing from a lot of children's entertainment. So you might be aiming for that. I know it's a lofty height, but if you aim for that, you might be providing something they've never experienced before. Oh. I don't know if you remember. Uh, I, I don't actually know how old, how old you are. I, I can only, you know, I'm, I'm imagining you're somewhere in your thirties. I am twenty seven. Boy, was I off. Good thing I didn't place a bet on that nonsense. Um. So when I was a kid, there was cartoons like He Man and GI Joe and Thundercats, mm-hmm. and well, with He Man and uh, GI Joe. Even the Ninja Turtles, now that I think about it, would at the very end of the cartoon, they for a few seconds they would talk about the morality of the uh, the story that they told, mm-hmm. about doing the right thing, about making friends, being good to your friends, and things like that, being good to your parents. If you can somewhat slide that into a campaign special with kids, I think that they're going they're they're going home with something a little bit more than I rolled dice for four hours. Mm-hmm. And me being morality driven is just weird for me because I'm like, hey, let's go watch Revenge of the Nerds. I'll explain what that joke means when you're a little bit older. Uh, so it, it is. I mean, if you look at a kid, kids are not dumb. As much as we want to think they are, they're not. Um, and you're right. Batman, X-Men, Gargoyles, even Pee Wee Herman back in the day understood this. And that's why they were popular. Now, Pee Wee Herman is a whole different subject, but still, he had the same uh, formula when he did his show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, what's interesting about those uh, morality segments at the end of the cartoons was they put those in there so that they could sell toys. But well, they were thirty-minute uh, uh, commercials. I, I mean, I'm not going to say that they're not. Mm-hmm. In the fifth edition, or uh, Watsy gets their way, four hour four hour gaming sessions will be one great big commercial, uh, monetizing and everything else, which I completely I get and I disagree with all at the same time. Yep. Yeah, and I guess now is as good a time as any to transition into talking about this uh, this OGL thing, and I want to start by kind of staying where we are with the professional GM stuff. Um, 
with what the OGL 1.1 is saying, it sounds to me like the stuff that's going on at your shop where the owner is paying you to run 5th edition. It sounds like Watsy is now going to either tell you to stop or tell you to pay up. What are yeah, your I, thoughts on that? I don't know how that's going to work out. I mean, I, if if they do what they want to do, I think my interaction with the kids are going to be a whole lot more scripted than they are now. Because mm -hmm. uh, they're going to want uh, to run with a... Uh, I don't want to say agenda. Um, maybe agenda is the right word for it, unfortunately. And I, there's going to be comments and jokes that are no longer fits their image. And I'm going to have to cater to that, which I think is completely our bullshit. Um, I, I think the best DMs, uh, best storytellers are the ones that are not on a collar. And they might put me on, try to put professional DMs on a collar of some sort. Um, I don't care. I don't mind running their stories, if the, you know, for one shot stories. With eventually does it, or society does it, where they have one shot uh, storylines, as long as they're good. Mm -hmm. I'm not really into home brewing. I, it's not that I'm bad at. It, it's just not really my bag. I'd rather run modules. But as long as your modules are good, I don't mind running it. And unfortunately, with Paizo, some of their best <clears throat> modules were third party. And uh, I don't know so much with 3.5, but even 5th edition, I came across uh, several modules that were 3rd editions were far better than the crap they've been pumping out. Yeah. I mean, Victor just uh, pumped out, uh, did a, uh, it a Kickstarter for his book that uh, for 5e that put modern a uh, modern take to it. Mm -hmm. I think that's absolutely awesome. If, if Watsi wants to get rid of that, then they're just shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, there's nothing good is going to come out of this. If I, and I jokingly said earlier, when I have to change my name from Cigar DM to Cigar a GM, that's going to be bullshit. Um, it's a title that I've worked for. It's a title I earned, but because I don't follow the company line, I can no longer use it. Or do I have to now pay a monthly uh, a subscription to be able to use a DM for $20 a month? You get to use such and such. That's bullshit. Hmm. Yeah, and, and this is all why, uh, I mean, those of you who follow me on Twitter, this is why I started going off yesterday and today. And that's what this, uh, this hashtag RP Gorillas is all about. Um, Watsi has essentially, with this uh, OGL 1.1, said not only do they own D&D, &D, they very well think that they own the entire hobby of role-playing games. And it seems to me uh, that with your specific situation, what Watsi is going to end up doing is going to these shops that have professional GMs and saying, hey, at your shop, if you're running 5th edition, or if you're running 6th uh, edition, I guess, you know, if we're talking about the new one, if you're going to be running our games, you're using Adventurer's League, you're using Adventurer's League uh, adventures, you have to follow, you know, the letter of everything going on with Adventurer's League, and if we find out that you're not, 
and we find out that you're making money off of, uh, you know, running something outside of these parameters using our rule system, we're going to send you a C and D or we're going to uh, take you to court. That's what I see happening with, uh, you know, play in shops moving forward. There's a really weird loophole to this one, and I haven't quite I completely worked it out in my head on if it comes down that way. But there are certain things that they can't are just they can't copyright. Mm-hmm. They can't copyright uh, 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 the D uh, D twenty dice system if you use D twenty or not. They can't copyright certain terms. I might not be able to say fighter, but maybe I could say warrior. Maybe instead of wizard, I can say another term or whatever. There's going to be an interesting workaround, and anybody who's clever enough to pull it off is willing to give Watsy uh, the middle finger more power to you. And it will make DMs like me, they'll have to do more homebrew, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I just, it's not one of my favorite ways to do it. And, and what I want to do and what I want to see other people do, uh, I, I'm going to be contributing to this. Uh, 2023, I'm hoping by the end of the year, I'll be able to at least have, you know, a crowdfunding campaign, if not something published. Um, I want to give people who don't want to play in the Watsi sandbox anymore that published material. So, you know, like Nighthaven. Nighthaven is not a rules system it's not its own set of rules but it's a setting and it'll have adventures with it that's what i'm looking to publish that's what i'm looking to put out there so uh you know again to to use your shop as an example if the owner doesn't want to play in the watsi sandbox but still wants to hire you to uh let's say run castles and crusades uh which might not be uh, might not be as uh, you know financially uh, wise as you know sticking with the uh, the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room. Right. Hypothetically, he wants you to run castles and crusades. You'll have Nighthaven at your disposal to to run using that rule set. And I'm I'm hoping to give that uh, you know those options to people and and letting them know, hey, this will be outside the ecosystem. You guys are not going to be supporting some giant corporation that just wants to milk you for all of your nickels and dimes. You're supporting uh, independent creators. I I have this odd feeling the person who's pressing the issue with the OGL doesn't quite or might have played the game once or twice, but he's not one of us. He is some guy who realized, uh, realizing as long as this is a thing, you guys are leaving money on the table. And this business, I mean, it's a business. It's a corporation. They're, they have stock owners. They have stock owners. They have employees. Yes, they need to keep their own lights on. I just think this is a horrible, horrible way to do it. And you're going to end up losing at least a couple generations of gamers, old school gamers, you know, mm-hmm. from my friend Finn, who has uh, been playing for like 40 years. Shadow and Shadow and Sun's been playing forever, too. And, I mean, he's not a fan of the current edition or last couple of editions from my understanding. But all you're going to do is give the the hobby a black eye because there's a few pennies and quarters left on the table. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I won't even be generous enough to say that this is someone who has played the game even once. This is an old suit from Hasbro. 
It's the same thing that happened in Marvel Comics in uh, the, the mid-90s when uh, Ron Perlman bought the company. There's someone in a business suit uh, taking a look at the numbers and saying, uh, why are these other people allowed to publish material for our game that we're not seeing any cut of? Why are we letting people... Uh, you know, play in our sandbox without giving us a cut. It's it's the same thing that Marvel tried to do when they were like, why, you know, wh why are these other shops, uh, you know, selling product next to ours? Why aren't we able to, you know, push sole distribution through a platform that we own? Why can't we own every aspect of creation, uh, you know, from cradle to grave? Right. Uh, and what happened with Marvel was Marvel went out or not out of business, but they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in 1996. Uh, so it, yeah, I think... Yeah. <laughs> it's funny how Marvel is. Uh, this, the whole the whole corporation bu uh, business, uh, outside of even this, is just funny. Uh, Spider-Man. Uh, uh, Spider-Man, not the Tobey Maguire, not the latest one. And Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies are doing really good. Uh, we're doing well. The two that were made. Well, the first one did well. The second one was, I thought it was good. But anyways, um, Sony's like, well, we're going to make these movies. And Marvel's like, we kind of want Spider-Man back. Well, we're, we have a contract saying we own Spider-Man. That's cool. We just won't make any toys or comic books for the Spider-Man. And I don't know if that's completely accurate, but I don't remember seeing any Andrew Garfield Spider-Man toys out there for the most part. No. No, there was almost nothing. It's... Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, oh, DC uh, called... A little bit of nerd uh, history. DC at one point, I think it was in the late 70s, called Marvel and says, we're going bankrupt. Do you want to buy our stuff? Yeah. Yeah, pe people forget about that. But DC had, they called it the DC explosion, where they put out a whole bunch of books in the market trying to uh, raise revenue. And they ended up oversaturating the market. And there was almost a deal put in place right before Crisis on Infinite Earths was released in 1985 that would have seen Marvel publishing Batman, Superman, Flash, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, Teen Titans, and Justice League, essentially the same way that they made comics for Star Wars and uh, G.I. Joe. They would have been, like, licensed properties. Right. Uh, it's funny, I think, what there's been a few of them, but Conan... I'm using Conan as an example because it's the truth, but Conan is bound from DC to Marvel... And to independent comic book people. I, I don't know where he's sitting right now. But I have a comic book in my collection where uh, uh, Conan was hanging out with uh, Wolverine. And I have another one where he's hanging out with someone in D.C. I, I don't remember who. Uh, even Tarzan has ran into the same theory. He has bounced from one comic book company to the other uh, because they buy the rights and they realize that you know we're not the right fit or the family says no, however it works out. But yeah, cross-contamination, uh, as a couple of my friends would put it when it comes to the comic books. If we can't make it, we'll just sell it to somebody else and hopefully they'll treat our characters with love. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they all can't be Howard the Duck, I guess. Now, Crafty makes a good point in chat here. The vice president of Hasbro is a guy named Nicholas Mitchell, and he apparently has 25 years of IP law experience. And uh, uh, <laughs> it, it sounds to me like 
this guy has essentially led an initiative saying, this is our IP. We're leaving a lot on the table. We're not enforcing a lot. Uh, so, you know, we need to, uh, we need to nip this in the bud right now. Yeah, I've been reading the chat. He has an earlier statement. The person pushing the new, uh, OGL has been uh, a lawyer since the 90s. He's a lawyer. He's not a dumb guy. He knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, I have no doubt that he knows exactly what he is doing. I just don't think he has the foresight to see what he's going to do to the hobby, or if he d even cares at all. Yeah. Yeah, I, honestly, this, this feels like a short-sighted business decision to me. This feels like someone trying to bring in as much money as they possibly can, but what they're going to end up doing is losing money because, I mean, they're, they're driving away a lot of customers who want to use that third-party stuff, and ultimately they're angering people. They're, they're making people mad um, by doing this. They're making creators mad. They're making people who otherwise might have bought 6th edition books angry and ensuring that they're not going to spend their money with watsi ever again uh, and the result of this is always the same whenever a company tries to put a stranglehold on an entire industry by being ultra litigious they never win that's it, it, it's usually just a matter of time before uh, they find themselves kind of out on the street it happened with TSR. Uh, it's going to end up happening again with Hasbro. This is not new. This is something that's been done before, and it was a failure then. It'll be a failure now. I get why Watsy had to be bought by somebody. And a toy company does, you know, uh, as a toy company for the most part, it makes sense. It made a lot of sense in a roundabout way. Uh, it's just a bunch of mishandling. It, uh, you know, it's very much a lot of mishandling. And I think you're right. Um, I think somebody's going to end up uh, replacing him. Somebody's going to get fired. Uh, I don't know what year it was, but Nike was going to release a uh, shoe in Ireland on St. Patrick's Day called the Black and Tan, not looking into the Irish history. And I know shoe companies in Watsi are two different creatures, but it's almost the same story. They're doing something incredibly dumb, thinking it's a good idea. Now, if they want to monetize D&D, you know, there's several ways to do it where it's not completely cringe. Like, um, what was the magazine Cobalt Magazine back in the day? Mm -hmm. uh, if they had, you know, a monthly subscription to different thought processing, different stories, different like what Cobalt was... But under the same, under under their flagship, I, I'd pay twenty bucks a month for a magazine to help me uh, help me uh, prove my DMing game if it was worth reading. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that's going to be the way it is. I think it's going. To, I I I really hope it doesn't. I I see it be turning into the next World of War crack. Uh, instead of being actually at a physical table. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's... I think, honestly, this is going to be the hill where as a service dies. Not... I, I think as a service is just kind of with us as an economic concept. That's not going away. But 
when you apply it to something like tabletop gaming, where so much happens up here, there's so much that's intangible, there's a lot of factors you just can't control about role-playing games. And so if you try to push that uh, idea that you don't own the books, you don't own the story, you don't own anything, we own it, you're using it for a fee. If you try to push that too hard, people are just going to retreat from it and they're going to go back to the basics, which is pen and paper, dice in your mind. And now, I have a physical book. That's mm -hmm. fine, a physical book. If they want to come back here and buy the rest of my collection, I'd probably burn it. They're not taking this away from me. I can run out of this book and the other books I have until I die of alcoholism, most likely, or whatever else comes first. But to all the newer stuff, we as gamers, DMs, or GMs, or whatever, have the ability of just saying, no, we are not going to buy your stuff. We're not going to buy that book. Every every third guy I know has a 3D printer. They can you know they can make their own ter uh, their own play uh, mats, their own figs, whatever. So it just it's going to be a matter of when do we say that's enough? We're not going to take it anymore. And I think it's going to be. I, I think you're right. I think it's going to be within maybe next year or so. I think it's going to be a whole lot sooner than later. Yep. Yeah, and. Already, we're seeing big players kind of stand up to to Watsy on this. Um, the it, it, Crafty points this out. Cobalt uh, Press and uh, it looks like uh, Matt Colville as well have have both kind of come out against this new OGL. So it, you know, the it, Cobalt Press is not a small player when it comes to uh, you know third party. Uh, D and D compatible stuff, uh, so you know that the, them saying we're not going to deal with this, we're not going to take this. That's going to cause some problems because you know if they're not going to deal with it, then who else is not going to deal with it? I think if Cobalt Press is willing to uh, go their own way, I think most of the major third party publishers, be they uh, you know Frog God or whoever. Uh, is still in the market out there. They're not gonna want to play in that sandbox either. Uh, and and the big one is gonna be what happens to Critical Role. I know as much. I don't like Critical Role. I know a lot of people don't like Critical Role, but I like their cartoon <laughs> that's on Amazon. It makes me giggle. Oh uh, no! Like at this I... point, it's gonna be it's gonna be Critical Role, and even like uh, based on some of the terms in the OGL. Uh, the way that Stranger Things currently portrays D&D &D violates the, the new OGL 1.1 unless they want to give money to Watsy. So uh, if they're going to push back, uh, you know, Netflix and, uh, you know, the Duffer Brothers production company pushing back on Watsy and Critical Role pushing back on Watsy will be, uh, I mean, that'll be the end of it. Uh, however, as Crafty points out here, both Paizo and uh, Critical Role have been uh, very quiet. And so it's it's entirely yeah. possible, if not likely, they've cut deals. Yeah, I, I see a NDA. Well, Netflix, 
Um, Netflix, as of right now, does not have... I mean, they, they're making money. I'm not saying that they're not making money. But they went from a streaming network that says loving is sharing when it came to your password to don't share. They're losing money. Yeah. I mean, they've had a couple black eyes this past year, uh, Witcher being one of them, with uh, the, the lead guy saying, no, you guys are going in a direction that that's not right for the character, not for the uh, story, so I quit. And he was what made Witcher. I mean, I'm not saying it's a great show or anything, but he's the one who was making it feasible. Yeah. And so they hired Thor's younger brother. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Who is... So, all right, you shit the bed. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Now do you want to uh, get in a fight with uh, Hasbro over how Stranger Things plays uh, D&D? They're not. They're going to they're gonna be quiet if, as if they didn't already strike a deal. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they have struck a deal with Watsy or if they're just saying, uh, basically, there's just not going to be any D&D in the, in the le- next season of uh, Stranger Things. I, I could see them kind of moving past it as well. Um, I hear yeah, a I very mean, unhappy baby. Say what? I hear a very unhappy baby. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I, no shade. I, I, I do miss those days, weirdly enough. Um, it is their last season. I mean, they made the big bad to be a, uh, a historically legendary villain in D&D. Uh, and they're definitely going in that direction. They're supposedly going in a direction. And I think they've just got done filming that that long ago. I, I like the show. It's, it's. I like the show because I remember, I, it's what I remember from the 80s. I remember a lot of, they're doing the 80s well, and just the just the era aspect. The story, it's it's like every other story about teenagers out there. Oh no, there's a big bad, and we have to be the Scooby-Doo's, uh, the Scooby Bunch. Um, it might be the last show that does this. It, I mean, there's also, Hasbro has a D&D movie uh, 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 coming out. Uh, that I actually do plan on seeing. I, 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 even just to poke fun of it, I'll go watch it because I'm bored most of the time. Mm-hmm. But it's how much. Well, Mark, I, I'm reading Chaz. I'm trying to talk. It's how much of their nose is they're going to cut off despite their face is uh, I, what I'm curious about. Uh, Mark, Otzi doesn't care about the RPG. They want brand D&D in movies, toys, and clothing, and stuff like that. That's very... I can't even argue that. I have the D&D cookbook. I collect weird cookbooks. I have the Hannibal Lecter from the Hannibal Lecter TV series cookbook just because it's Hannibal Lecter cookbook. And if you don't know who Hannibal Lecter is, I I don't know what to tell you guys in chat. Yeah, I mean, they they very much... uh, It's the same way that Disney treats Marvel comics. They don't care about the comics... Uh, Watsy or uh, Hasbro doesn't care about the game. They just care about the brand. They care about the D, the ampersand, and the D. Um, but again, I don't see success for that D and D movie. And I know today they just announced, uh, you know, a D and D show is coming to Paramount Plus. Uh, Paramount Plus sucks, with the exception of Yellowstone and uh, the other Taylor Sheridan shows. Paramount Plus is the worst streaming service. Uh, so, 
just there's a lot of shows that they're on uh, CBS I like the Tom Selleck uh, Blue Bloods the cop show I enjoy that one but yeah I as I agree as a streaming network they don't even have Yellowstone I don't think uh, they might be getting the they get the uh, spinoffs with the, the newest one with uh, Harrison Ford and the other one with uh, Tim McGraw and his uh, wife Faith Hill and they're getting the another spinoff called 666 uh, which is an actual working ranch uh, down in Texas but as a whole yeah I mean they dropped the ball with Halo they dropped the ball with a couple other things so I agree Oh, they also have Classroom Westerns. I like Classroom Westerns, so. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I should check uh, those out on there, because I do like classic Westerns. I, I got Disney Plus, and I, I'm like watching old school cartoons I remember growing up as, you know, so I can't say much. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, honestly, even with the, uh, the D&D show, it's in development. There's a lot of things that have died in development, and if that movie flops in March, which I... I'm pretty sure it's going to flop. Uh, there won't be a D&D show. So. It can't be any worse than the last two D&D movies we got. One, The first one was complete our joke. It, they just slapped D&D on a buddy cop type theme movie. Uh, granted, they weren't cops, but you, you get where I'm going. Uh, the second one didn't even make it to theater. It was straight to release, and it was actually halfway decent. So this one has the names. It has the CGI to back up the ba- uh, the, the scenery. <laughs> it'll be what it'll be. Do I expect it to you know make the same money as um, Wakanda Forever or? Uh, the uh, space cats that really Polynesians no but it's gonna make some money I mean it'll make a little bit but it's not gonna set the world on fire because it's an also ran at this point we've seen other franchises try to be the MCU Uh, you know we've seen men in black try and fail to be the MCU we've seen Terminator try and fail to be the MCU Uh, you know the only Marvel has been able to pull off making Marvel movies and everyone else that has tried has found that they don't have what Marvel had in the early days to get people invested. So, uh, you know, at this point they're just kind of, uh, essentially children playing pretend at what they've seen adults do. There's no real creativity behind it. And I think audiences do see that when these other franchises try to pull a Marvel and I don't see it being any more successful for D&D, uh, especially just because that movie looks like it was written by an AI. It very well be. See, the thing with Marvel, and this can actually branch back down to storytelling just for, you know, campaign D&D or Pathfinder already running. Yes, we know we made some bad movies, but we didn't cut the strings and ran. We just kept on moving forwards. Where DC Comics, you know, they they cut the string so many times. No, we don't. It failed, so we're gonna go a different direction. If you just stay at the course, even if you have a bad session, doesn't mean your next session's gonna be bad. And it's just the stay tunedness that Marvel has. Yes, their agenda has woke has gone very woke. I'm not gonna say that it hasn't, 
Mm-hmm. Well, that, you know, I still watch the movies with my kid. I got an 11-year-old daughter who it loves the Marvel movies. You know, and these movies are not meant, most of the movies, well, even 5th edition wasn't meant for us. 5th edition was meant for kids. Mm-hmm. If you really look at it. You have a bunch of older players saying, well, this is not what it was like when we were that age. Of course it's not, because it wasn't made for us. Uh, it's the same argument with Star Wars. The second uh, second trilogy and the last trilogy wasn't meant for the first tri- uh, for the first uh, batch of people who saw it. George Lucas said that it was meant for the next generation of people who watch, if not play, the game. It's everything changes for better or for worse. Uh, I'm not saying the changes now are for better. I, I think they suck I all mean- the way around. There's a lot of things that are made for children that are really good, and there's a lot of things that are made for children that are absolutely terrible. Made for kids or made for another generation or it's not for you doesn't excuse bad content. It doesn't. We The cartoons have dumbed down. Uh, the cartoons that you find today have definitely dumbed down. A D&D should not be that way. Pathfinder should not be that, and so forth and so on should not be that way. Look at our attention span as a, a, the younger generation's attention span. They're more attached to this, the what you know, than they are to anything that's being um, played on a table. I mean, I don't know how it was with most kids, but the idea is—I actually I do. Uh, one of my friend has a kid roughly the same age as mine. And the idea of them sitting down and trying to play Monopoly is pulling their hair because the kid is up and running around. I, my daughter will play Monopoly with me mm-hmm. because she understands the idea of patience. And these games are not meant for patience. They're, they're meant to be fast. And that, that's where they're losing it. Well, and that's the other thing. Uh, you know, people, people talk a lot about uh, young, people's genera- or young people's attention spans and how they're more focused on on the phone than anything else. Young minds are also pliable, though. So the the younger generation is focused on this because this is yep. all that they know and this is all that they're given because this is easy. If someone is going to take the time to sit them down, to do the work, to really push them consistently to alter their attention span, especially at... 10, 11, 12 years old, at that point, you can alter what a kid's attention span is because it's not too late. Even if they're, you know, 15, 16 years old, it's not too late to change uh, someone's attention span. It just takes time and effort. And unfortunately, effort is a bad word these days. It's not... (sighs) I'm not blaming the parents because the world that we live in right now is not the one we grew up in. Where the idea that you could at least have one parent at home to, you know, teach kids patience and things like that. Now it's, everybody has to work. And we're dumping our kids off at daycares or wherever, where the people who are working at daycares are overwhelmed. And they shoved them in front of a TV. That is going 30, maybe, maybe at three or four minutes per episode before the next commercial, uh, the cartoon before the next commercial. If you want kids to sit down and do something with them, you need to give them the attention they deserve. And if you want your players at the table, 
Uh, I, I, I'm circling back. I really am. I know I can go out in the weeds. Uh, if you want your players to be consistently at the table and pay attention at the table, you're going to have to not cater, but you're going to have to make sure that you're giving them as much attention as you want them to give you. Yeah. Yeah, and they have to feel like they are engaged and they're involved in what's going on. And to appeal to that, kind of attention span that's hammered into kids these days, uh, you can present them with multiple different, uh, you know, changes and, and, you know, things moving at a fast pace in the game. But ultimately what you're doing is the same activity for an extended period of time. So there are ways to kind of hack that mindset. It's just, again, it takes effort, it takes time, it takes uh, someone willing to actually sit down and engage these kids. And it sounds like uh, at your table, that's what you end up doing, uh, you know, professionally, is you're dealing with kids who, for the most part, are watching, uh, you know, endless loops of TikToks on their phones. Uh, but for, you know, a few hours a week, you're able to get them engaged in one story at one table for a few hours. And that's more time they spend on one activity than they spend on probably almost any other activity. It, it doesn't matter if they're a kid or adult. I have a basket, like, you know, like a little Easter basket that sits outside the other door, and everybody puts their phone in, including me. I put my phone in it because what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And if there's an emergency, I told the parents, please call the shop. Don't call your kids, call the shop, because the shop, you know... The kids are going to freak out because you're just giving them information right then and there. Give it to the shop, the shop owners, because the guy who runs the shop has, like, kid you not, like, 11 kids. I mean, and he, he and so he comes in, says, hey, Tommy, uh, your mom's on your way. You guys have to leave early. You know, it's just, there's a way to handle it. And making grown-ups, kids, whoever, leave their phone at, outside the room, you separate them from that distraction i don't know if it's the right idea but it seems to work yeah and i think i mean honestly i think there needs to be more times where we leave our phones i turn my phone off at night i have a traditional alarm clock and i turn my phone off at night my mom has gotten mad at me for doing that before uh because back in 2020 we had a tornado here in nashville and uh Everyone wanted to know right that minute at two o'clock in the morning my time if I was okay, but you know I was okay. I was asleep. So were you there for the great flood? I was not. No, that was that was some years before I moved to Nashville. I was there for the great flood. Mm-hmm. That, that was a rare treat uh, that I never want to deal with it ever again. I was trapped. At a friend's house, because I was living up in Illinois, and we went down there for a camping event, and the rain came in on Thursday, and we were stuck there until, like, Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So, I get emergencies happen, and I really do. Um, I I can't turn my phone off I with my daughter, because mm-hmm. as much as I have faith in my ex-wife of being a good mom, uh, me and my daughter both agree that she's batshit crazy. So if my daughter is having a rough go with her mom, I, I'm there. I can pick up the phone. It's it's a separate household problem, not a single fa- uh, not a you know a whole family problem. Hmm. Yeah, but I mean, 
I, I honestly think the no phones at the table rule is a good one, and it's probably something I, I, I've I've been looking at my phone during during the game as a GM and as a player because you know there's there's downtime. There's times where people are just taking too damn long to do what it is they want to do, oh. and so you're just like, let's see what Twitter's got going on. I have a horrible case of ADD. And if I'm not doing something, I am up walking around. If you want me to set your table, unfortunately, I have to keep my hands and me busy because I don't play spellcasters. Uh, I look at Wizard as, you know, too much paperwork. Mm. You know, in Bruce's campaign, I'm playing an archer. I roll my dice, I do my actions, I move on. Mm. That's it. And that's the type of player. It's not that I'm lazy. It's just it's my sticking to your strengths. Now, with other people like Jade, for example, who can play the uh, spellcasters, he's got it down to a fine art. I'm not that guy. So if I'm, if I, I know that about myself, uh, you know, I need to be understanding towards other people. But at the shop, there is routine. There is a way that things have to be done, and they're all my rules. And it provides a good game for my players and for me. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So we are kind of running up against our time here. This has been a great conversation. I'm glad that we finally got to do this. Uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed getting to talk to you. And we, uh, we took things in several interesting directions here tonight. So I, I think people will really get some value out of this one. I play in the weeds. Uh, I, you know, remember the cartoons when we were kids, the sing-along uh, cartoons with the bouncy ball? Yeah. You know, bounce, mm. dot, dot, dot. Unfortunately, with my ADD, it's dot, 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 in every other direction. But I uh, I want to thank you for having me um, on your uh, show. I've been really looking forward to this one since we originally talked about it. And uh, I uh, love to have you on mine, even if, you know, even if it's a Sunday, uh, it's a Sunday review where we do movies. It's like this coming Sunday, we're going to be talking about the Gremlins movies from the 80s. Mm. The Christmas movie. And it's just something we do. But if we get back into gaming, I would love to have your endpoint on uh, point uh, with the other guys I have. I, I have Mark. Mark's been in the chat. And like I said earlier, he's one of the guys that hangs out with me on Sundays. But once again, thank you for having me on your show. I mean, even if you just want to have me on for uh, a movie episode at some point, um, I will tell you I am very knowledgeable on the movie Tombstone. It's my favorite movie of all time. And I am also willing to talk ad nauseum about how uh, Die Hard and Raiders of the Lost Ark are perfect examples of uh, what happens when you make an ability score check. You know, it's funny you bring up Tombstone. April, we're going to do Western movies. Okay. Uh, and uh, I think Raider of the, uh, I think we're doing Raiders of Lost Ark this coming month for our uh, Valentine special movies. You know, we're not doing rom-coms, but we're doing romantic-ish action. Uh, like, uh, Romancing the Stone, I think, was one of the titles that got thrown in there. So, yeah, I'd love to have you on there. If we do Tombstone, I'll definitely give you a shout-out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, before I let you go, there's one question that everyone gets asked on Rolling Bones. You are no exception. Uh, so the answer can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. But Connell, if you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? Shut up and smoke a cigar. That works. 
That works. All right, well, guys, that is going to do it for tonight's episode of Rolling Bones. Once again, Connell, thank you so much for coming on uh, next week. Y'all know him. You love him. You should be buying his books if you haven't already. Um, but Levi Combs from Planet X Games is going to be back. And our topic for the show is not going to be one of his books, uh, but rather parsing out the differences between Weird Fantasy and Gonzo. Uh, this is going to be a very heady, very philosophical episode. Um, on my part, there will probably be a lot of talk about Hunter S. Thompson, because that's what I associate the word gonzo with. Uh, but that's, uh, that's what you can look forward to next week. So talking a lot about, uh, you know, probably some Elric, some Fofford and the Grey Mouser, and definitely some Conan. Uh, just kind of as we parse out the difference between Weird Fantasy and Gonzo. So hope you guys will join me then. Uh, but until then, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard. And please uh, use the hashtag RPGorilla on uh, Twitter, or RPGorillas. You can see it in the title of this episode. We want to show... Watsy that we mean business and we want to show them that if they want a war they got a war so we're not an organized army we are uh an insurgency so rp gorillas that's going to be us moving forward so i'll see you guys next time